Are you ready? Let me say it first. You repeat it after me. John. My name is Tim Lemire, and I love the Beatles. I also love language. I'm a writer, editor, and author, so language is my livelihood. Why not put the two together for a podcast where I use the Beatles music to talk about the English language? This is the Beatles English. Episode 6. USSR. In our last episode, we explored the language of John Lennon's song, The Continuing Story of Bungalow Bill, which is on side one of the eponymous double album, The Beatles, more popularly known by its cognomen, The White Album. Now, The White Album is rich territory, not just musically, but also in terms of language. There are moments of wonderfully poetic expression surreal turns of phrase, and words whose etymologies are fascinating and revealing. In this episode, we're going to continue with the White Album, and where better to go next than its lead track, Back in the USSR, credited, as always, to Lennon and McCartney, but attributed to Paul. I consider Back in the USSR to be one of the Beatles' boldest songs, and to explain why, we need to take a close look at language. I've noted in previous episodes of this podcast that the Beatles, as songwriters, are fond of their puns, especially double entendres, such as please please me. In early 1968, there arose in Britain a grassroots campaign of patriotism with the slogan, I'm backing Britain. The spirit of it was to encourage people to work hard and to boost the British economy. Some people found this slogan to be, well, a little too earnestly nationalist. One of those people, reportedly, was Paul McCartney, and his creative response, big surprise, was to write a song, a parody song called I'm Backing the UK. Paul and the rest of the Beatles were great admirers of the American rock and roll guitarist and songwriter Chuck Berry, so they were very well acquainted with Chuck Berry's 1959 hit, Back in the USA, which is about a musician having toured the world, touching down in the United States to sing the praises of all the great cities and places he'd missed. Paul's parody song, I'm Backing the UK, morphed into Back in the USSR. Back in the USSR sings the praises of the Soviet state, its people, its landscape, its culture. The term for this is a paean, P-A-E-A-N. A paean is a song of praise. Why is it called that? Well, the word is Greek, and the theory is that the word referred to a hymn of praise sung to Paean, P-A-I-A-N, 
who, according to the writer Homer, was physician to the gods. Paean, the name, means healing. Now, back in the USSR doesn't just sing the praises of the USSR. The speaker of the song argues that the women in the Ukraine are superior to the women of the Western world. Now, maybe that just makes sense, since we can assume that the voice in the song belongs to a native of the USSR, because, he sings, it's good to be back home. Fair enough, but in the 1950s and 60s, that is, at the height of the Cold War between the U.S. and the USSR, anyone who was critical of the U.S. government or of capitalism's flaws, indeed anyone who questioned the decisions or motives of Western government, could be accused of being a communist. Young people, especially in the 1960s, who wondered what was to be gained by going to war with the North Vietnamese, could be accused of being communist sympathizers or worse. If he openly declares himself to be a communist, we take his word for it. If a person consistently reads and advocates the views expressed in a communist publication, he may be a communist. If a person supports organizations which reflect communist teachings or organizations labeled communist by the Department of Justice, she may be a communist. Then, in 1968, Amidst the worst tension around Vietnam, here come the Beatles, singing a rock and roll song about how awesome the USSR is. People in Britain who were familiar with the slogan, I'm backing Britain, might have thought that Paul, singing I'm back in the USSR, sounded suspiciously close to I'm backing the USSR. That, I think, is a bold move for the Beatles. I like the song back in the USSR. In fact, it's one of my favorite Beatles songs. At the same time, though, I can understand that if you are of a certain age and background, and you come from Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Estonia, or Lithuania, among other places around the world, back in the USSR, may not be your favorite Beatles song. Not because of the music, but because of the words. Timeless is a word that's often applied to the Beatles' music, but Back in the USSR contains words that refer to two things that no longer exist. Now, I know that Beatle fans of a certain age might think it odd that I should point this out, but I think it's necessary in 2019 to explain that USSR stands for Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, a state that ceased to exist in 1991. It would be inaccurate from a language standpoint and also from a historic and cultural standpoint to say that by USSR, Paul means Russia. The definition of what, where, and who constitutes Russia over the centuries is a topic for a different and much longer podcast. The other thing that no longer exists today is in the first line of the song, Flew in from Miami Beach, B-O-A-C, which stands for British Overseas Airways Corporation. 
Well, that's what it used to stand for. BOAC ceased to operate as an entity in 1974, merging with three other airlines to become British Airways. The terms BOAC and USSR have something in common. They are both initialisms, not acronyms, initialisms. Those two terms are sometimes confused. An acronym is pronounced as a word. NATO, SWAT, and YOLO are acronyms, while CIA, FBI, NSA, BOAC, and USSR are all initialisms. An easy way to remember the difference is to think about your own initials. Mine are TSL. That's an initialism, not an acronym. If, however, you are a sentient computer of the 9000 series and are a heuristically programmed algorithmic computer, you would go by the acronym HAL. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. We are all, by any practical definition of the words, foolproof and incapable of error. Been away so long, I hardly knew the place. Paul sings, gee, it's good to be back home. That's G-E-E, -E, not the letter G, as in, what up, G? In that use, the letter G is short for gangster, or if you prefer, gangsta. The word G, grammatically, is an interjection. If you remember Schoolhouse Rock, the TV series of animated educational short videos, you undoubtedly remember the one for interjections. That was a fun one, probably because the category of interjections is so broad. An interjection is a word or phrase that grammatically functions on its own, which is to say it doesn't modify any other part of the sentence. It's most often thought of as an exclamation of feeling, like, hey, Whoa! Or, aw. In the case of back in the USSR, the word G is an interjection meant to convey an innocent or childlike wonderment. There are other kinds of interjections, though. A hesitation marker, such as, uh, and, um, are also interjections. Now, when I was a boy, I used to watch reruns of a TV sitcom called Leave it to Beaver, about a very straight-laced suburban American family. And the title character, the boy nicknamed Beaver, seemed to be always saying, Gee, Wally, talking to his older brother, or Gee, Mom, or Gee, Dad, when talking to his parents. Gee is an interjection we think of children saying. Indeed, in Arthur Miller's play, Death of a Salesman, the tragic protagonist Willie Loman admonishes his adult son Biff for using the word G. Willie tells his son that G is a boy's word. And tellingly, not much later in the play, Willie says to himself, G, look at the moon moving between the buildings. G is an abbreviation of the interjection Gee whiz, which itself is a phonetic alternative to saying the name Jesus. I was baptized and brought up as a Catholic, and as a child, I was instructed not to take the Lord's name in vain. 
I promise not to do this, having absolutely no idea what taking a name in vain even meant. My recollection is that we were told not to say, God damn it, or in exasperation or surprise, Jesus Christ. The one allowance, we were told, was if you hit your thumb with a hammer and exclaimed, Jesus, or God damn it, without thinking. Where does this prohibition come from? In the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Exodus, the Lord God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue. The third commandment is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, I do not know Hebrew. I'm not a translator. But as I understand it, the translation of the original Hebrew word into take a name in vain is aiming at the invocation of a name in a way that serves no good purpose, is part of a false oath or a lie, or, one might say, is used in a way other than praise or prayer. Because Christians believe that Yeshua ben Yosef Hanatsri, or in English, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Son of God, this injunction against taking the Lord's name in vain naturally extends to Jesus. So with this prohibition, speakers of the English language have come up with a host of ways to invoke the name of God, or, if you are Christian, his Son, without actually taking their names in vain. For goodness sake is the alternative to for God's sake. Judas Priest is an alternative to Jesus Christ, as is Cheese and Crackers and Jesus Crow. Gadzooks is the alternative to God's hooks, or the nails used to hammer Jesus' hands and feet to the Holy Cross. And even gosh and golly are alternatives to exclaiming, God! Today, of course, we text, or even say, OMG, or the cruder, OMFG, neither of which would have met the approval of the nuns who taught me my religious instruction. They would say that if you wanted to exclaim something, you could use the interjections, wow, hey, or even darn, which is better than damn. In 1969, the Beatles released the single The Ballad of John and Yoko, the refrain of which is, Christ, you know it ain't easy, you know how hard it can be. The word Christ is Greek and means Messiah. It is not Jesus' last name, but Christ is used as a name to refer to him. And because, in the Ballad of John and Yoko, John is not singing to Christ, he is using the name Christ as an interjection, something that gave not a few listeners in 1969 some displeasure, especially since it had only been a few years since John Lennon had famously said that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus Christ. For that reason, some radio stations in 1969 bleeped out the word Christ in the Beatles song, something usually reserved for when someone uses a vulgarism. 
welcome to Russian Bandstand. This is your host, Nikita Clarkchev. In Russia, almost everybody watches Russian Bandstand. Now everybody watches Russian Bandstand. <laughs> A few other notes about back in the USSR. The lyric, that Georgia's always, always on my, 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 my mind, is Paul's cheeky reference to a song popularized by Ray Charles, Georgia On My Mind, which was written in 1930 by Hoagie Carmichael and Stuart Gorell. Georgia, the U.S. state, was founded as a British colony in 1733 and named after King George II of Great Britain. The name George is from the Greek word for farmer or someone who works the earth. As to why the Asian country, Georgia, is called Georgia, uh, there's some debate. One theory is that its roots are with a Persian word, I hope I'm saying this right, Gersian, meaning wolf. The territory, land of the wolves, evolved into the word Georgia. In Back in the USSR, Paul sings that the Ukraine girls really knock him out. Now, while the Ukraine was, at one point, part of the USSR, it is most definitely not part of Russia today. If you travel to the Ukraine or Russia, or meet someone from either of those places, I would recommend not saying something like, eh, Ukrainian, Russian, what's the difference? I learned this lesson the hard way. Usually, the best lessons in life are learned that way. Many years ago, I was at a party in Boston, and I met a very nice couple, um, a young man and woman, a husband and wife. And the wife had an accent, which I took to be a German accent. Now, because some of my ancestors emigrated from Germany to Boston, I thought I'd be polite. And I said to her, tell me, uh, what part of Germany are you from? Well, there was an uncomfortable pause and she informed me politely that she was Alsatian. She was from the region Alsace, which is part of France and borders Germany. And if you know your history, you know that Alsace has something of a troubled relationship with Germany. So I learned that day, or was reminded, that words matter more than just in grammar. A wise foreign policy is to let people tell you how they wish to be identified. My name is Tim Lemire. You can find episodes of The Beatles English on Apple Podcasts and on my website at timlemire.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. That will help other Beatle people to find the show. Thank you very much for listening. This is The Beatles English.